1: Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio. Women's Football Weekly with Fake Her Others on Talk Sport 2. All the action, excitement and drama from across the entire women's game,
2: including the Women's Super League. Cleaned off the line by Steph Horton. The UEFA Women's Champions League and the Euro 2021 qualifiers.
3: Lana Cleland striking from outside the penalty area.
2: World beating big match conversation on the station that's raising the game for women's football. And she scored. Women's Football Weekly with her Others. up two. Hello and welcome along to Women's Football Weekly. So much to get through after a busy weekend of WSL action. We'll be discussing all the results from around the league, including a certain Double World Cup winner's first goal in the WSL.
4: Can she score her first goal for Tottenham? Yes, she can. That's her first goal. In the white shirt of Tottenham Hotspur.
2: You'll also hear from Kenny Shields, head coach of the Northern Irish women's team, after they got themselves one step closer to a historic qualification for Euro 2022.
4: That is it. Northern Ireland have made history.
2: A five-star display from Kenny Shields' side as they book their place in the playoffs for the European Championships. And we'll also be hearing from Reading forward Danielle Carter on her return from injury. I'm just grateful now that, you know, I'm fit and I'm able to, to sort of be back doing what I love doing. This is Women's Football Weekly, National Radio's only dedicated women's football show. Women's Football Weekly with Faye Carruthers. Hi,
5: I'm Gemma Davison from Tottenham Hotspur and you're listening to the Women's Football Weekly on Talksport 2.
2: Yes, a very warm welcome along to Women's Football Weekly. I'm Hannah Wilkes, sitting in for Faye Carruthers this evening. And alongside me, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Bristol City defender Gemma Purfield and from The Telegraph, journalist Molly McElwee. Great to have you both with us. And Gemma, we'll talk about Bristol's game against Reading later. But how good was it to be back in WSL action after that international break?
6: Yeah, it was fantastic to be back. You know, we've obviously missed playing and I think... Personally, for Bristol, we'd gained a little bit of momentum coming into the break. So we were we were raring to go and ready
2: to play and um, we were excited for the game and also to have fans back in. That was massive. So, yeah, it was brilliant. Absolutely. And Molly, you were at Chelsea this weekend alongside some fans. The first, uh, the first WSL match to welcome fans back. It was amazing to see after all this time and it must have been a pretty good atmosphere.
5: Yeah, it was really great, Hannah. It was... Um... Yeah, it was as much as it was welcomed by the teams, I think it was welcomed by all the journalists around as well. We are glad to be able to be joined by other people in the stadium, so it was great.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's not quite as fun, as it, sat there on your own. There is so much to talk about, so let's crack on and discuss some of the action from the weekend as Manchester United managed to retain top spot in the WSL, but that chasing pack have put in some statement performances. <laughs>
4: here is uh, Kirby, and Kerr completes the hat-trick. And the final whistle does go. It is a hard-fought victory for Chelsea in the end. Ellen White pointing where she wants it. And it's in towards White, and there's a header! Well, she pointed where she wanted it, and the service arrived. And Ellen White, as she so often does, did the rest for Manchester City. Can she score her first goal for Tottenham? Yes, she can. That's her first goal in the white shirt of Tottenham Hotspur. And surely the first win for Tottenham in the WSL this season. Very good save from Hannah Hampton. Wasn't right in the corner the penalty, but Hampton did really well to get down low to her left and keep it out. Maya Broad with the effort finds the top corner.
5: For 90 minutes we played against 12. That's the reality. Thought, um, they they probably didn't need her help, but they got it. Um, but listen, let's um,
6: let's talk about how good Arsenal were because I think we've defended really well, but Arsenal have still managed to score three and. I think that's a testament to Joe in
4: this turns and tries to slip it through for Tobin Heath. Vice off the line, has given it straight back to Ella Toon, who could lovely survive and seal the three points for Manchester United. And look at this for a breakaway! It's Charlie Wellings! And she can square it! And Bristol City, from one end to the other, have taken the lead before half-time. What a break, Emma Bissell, sensational
0: stuff.
2: Well, Gemma, I'm sure you didn't mind reliving that goal again after Bristol City's draw against Reading. We are going to talk a bit more about that game in detail later on. But I want to start, um, Gemma Molly, if I can, with Aston Villa against Manchester United. The only game that happened on Saturday. And Manchester United uh, maintain their 100% record away from home. Also hold on to top spot. Goals from Leah Galton and Ella Toon. Um, what I want to talk about, though, despite the great performance from Manchester United, is is the, the head injury. Jackie Grunin came off in the 11th minute after suffering a head injury. She did get back up initially and continue on playing before going back down again 90 minutes. And Casey Stoney said after the game that she was guided by her medical team to take Ronan off and that the player had no say in the matter. Although there are some reports that maybe she argued with it a little bit. I'm intrigued to know your thoughts, Gemma. After, you know, we've been talking a lot about concussions in in football recently after the the David Luiz and and Raul Jimenez clash of heads last weekend in in the Premier League. So, Gemma, from a player's perspective, is the way it was handled on Saturday by Manchester United the right way to go and to handle brain injuries? You know, the player kind of not being able to, to, to fight their corner and being told, no, you need to come off.
6: Yeah, I think um, it often is, is the case because players are always going to say they want to play on um, and from experience when I've been hit before in the head, it's like, yeah, of course I want to play because you do. That's that winning mentality that you have as a footballer but I think the medical staff have your best interests at heart and, and if you are injured and if they do seem for it to be dangerous and a potential concussion, then you know from their point of view they've got to look after your safety and it's in their best interests to look after you as a player and a person and, and not just think about it from a football point of view. So, yeah, I think um, probably bringing her off was the right decision if they felt that and they must have seen something to deem it dangerous for her to, you know, to carry on.
2: That's quite a statement as well, wasn't it, um, Molly, from Casey Stoney, just saying it it wasn't anything to do with anyone other than the medical team and they had full control in that situation.
5: Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you say, it was kind of the talk uh, all ahead of kind of the weekend in both men's football and women's football. Um yeah that question was kind of put to casey stoney ahead of the game and she she made that clear that she would be following whatever her med- medical team kind of told her and she, she she said she's always done that and would continue to do that so it was kind of yeah um not a co- not a happy coincidence but a coincidence that it happened that weekend that she was put in that position kind of a couple of days after we spoke to her and she Um, Yeah, she stuck to what she said. Obviously, she followed what the medical team told her, uh, rightly so. I think, like Gemma says, and like a lot of players, I think, have been mentioning recently. um, I know Jamie Carragher mentioned it in a column uh, for The Telegraph last week. I think players always want to carry on. You always want to carry on playing, but um, that's what the medical team's there for. So it was great to see Casey Stoney kind of stick with stick with what her team kind of advised her.
2: Absolutely. I mean in terms of the football then, I mean Manchester United like we've said uh, remain top of the table, um unbeaten away from home and they're looking in pretty formidable form, aren't they, Gemma? They had 30 shots on goal during the game, the last of those being the the uh, tune shot that they clipped uh, clipped in. Um what are you making of Manchester United this relatively early point in the season but they're looking like a force very much to be reckoned with, aren't they?
6: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, they've made some incredible signings and retained some, some already brilliant players. And I think, you know, credit to Casey for getting those players in. Uh, Turban Heath looks like she's, you know, finding her feet more and more every week. Obviously, Lauren James back from injury and, and she hit the bar with a, a brilliant shot as well in that game. So I think, um, yeah, they're dangerous. They're, they're a great team. Um, they're good defensively and they're scary going forward as well. And I think like the Leah Galton goal, brilliant touch from her and finish and and the Ella Toon lob as well on the keeper it was a great finish and very clinical and I think that's something they are so they will continue to win games and pick up points and I think they're
2: going to fight everywhere at the top till the end. Said like a true defender that they're pretty scary going forward. Um, I mean for Aston Villa it was always going to be a challenge wasn't it coming into the, the Super League especially with how things have been over the last few months. A, a few wasted opportunities perhaps Molly have they got a bit of a mountain to climb do you think this season?
5: I mean yeah it, it, it's tricky um for them at the minute but I think one thing someone uh I think wrote this week was kind of they noted that last time Villa played um United in the championship they lost 12 well, they lost 12-0 and then they lost 5-0 in the championship in 2018 um, when you look at those scorelines, then you see two 0 no this weekend. I mean, it's obviously it's still a loss, but it's it seems like a lot of progress that um, that's been made um, with with them. And I mean, they they are still finding their feet, but to, to to limit United to two goals seems like a small victory. I think Gemma Davies made that kind of clear after the game. She was still quite positive, even though it was a loss. Um, yeah, so it's kind of mixed emotions maybe for them to to, to kind of get like not get the result but still hold united to to only two goals when they like you said had 30 odd chances
2: yeah it's pretty impressive actually when you break it down like that let's talk about um chelsea west ham then so fans are welcome back to kings meadow for the first time since february it was the first match to welcome back fans um and the lucky 700 that were there um plus you molly uh, were able to witness a great game of of football chelsea were forced to work pretty hard by a managerless West Ham. They held out, though, thanks to a hat-trick from the Aussie superstar, that is Sam Kerr. Um, Chelsea now 12 games unbeaten at home, 28-game unbeaten run in the league, looking fairly unstoppable, it's got to be said. And Molly, you're obviously at that game. Um, I know you're excited to have fans back, but it was entertaining on the pitch as well. What did you make of the match?
5: Yeah, it was a great match. It was. I, I feel like watching Chelsea this season, you just... You you never think they're going to be in a position to kind of lose. Um, I I think their record is it's twenty seven league games unbeaten now. Um, yeah, it it was a great game though. West Ham really did put up a bit of a fight, but um, I think Chelsea just did have the upper hand for the entire game and 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 had control of the game, over the game, even though obviously there was that late own goal to kind of. Put the scoreline at three 2 Sam Kerr was just clinical. I know she, it was kind of all of her goals were kind of in the six yard box, and they, she was kind of, yeah, it, she only needed to tap in a couple of them, but she, she did it, and she 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 kind of was clinical, and I think that's um, that's a great sign from her because when when she starts scoring goals, I think she she just doesn't stop. I think previous seasons in other leagues has has proven that. So it was they were great to watch. I think Frank Kirby was great after um after an injury spell so yeah she, she came back with a lot of pace and a lot of kind of creativity i think she got two of the assists so yeah they, they, they were great to
2: watch well on that frank kirby sam Kirk connection Gemma, i wanted to ask you as you know as a defender all three of those goals sort of came down the right between the, the two of them working really nicely together as a defender when you watch that does it does it send some sort of shivers down your spine is it is it nerve inducing for the rest of the league
6: yeah, I think, you know, the league watched those two and, and you see two world class players. I think Sam Kerr is starting to find her feet now in, in the English, you know, league and I think um she's gonna go on and keep pushing to score more goals. And Frank Kirby, like you say, she's come back and she looked she looked bright, she looked like she wanted to make an impact and was, was gonna put, put the ball in the right area. And like you say, Sam Kerr's goals might have all been in the six yard box, but any great centre forward Will be in the right place at the right time, and and there's no coincidence she was there to finish them. So I think it's definitely something they've been working on that link up and getting some men around the box to you know put the ball in the back of the net ultimately. So yeah, they they're both brilliant players, and I think. Um, they're just starting the beginning of their partnership, and there's probably more to come from them.
2: Yeah, they certainly are. I mean, in terms of West Ham, we've got to give them some credit. They um they did deserve that, you know, a couple of goals after the performance they put in. Admittedly, one was a Chelsea own goal, but they they did make Chelsea work for it, didn't they, Molly?
5: Yeah, they did. I, I mean, special mention, I think, to Rachel Daly. She obviously got. Her goal, um, but she was also just great. I think she, she she showed kind of both both ends of the pitch, and kind of what how versatile she is, and and how she can cover so much ground for for West Ham. Um, she actually had a one on one early on. I think a couple of minutes after the first um, Chelsea goal, um, she had a one on one with the keeper. And I mean, if if she would have got past the keeper, it could have turned the game around. Um, but yeah those small kind of margins when you're up against the best teams in the league can be the difference between kind of swaying the momentum back your way um but yeah west ham were were, were good and they, they didn't kind of get disheartened by, by by the goals either um you saw they kind of pushed to the end um which is a good sign especially considering obviously it was their first game without matt beard um so yeah not not kind of um very bad signs for them. And and the last time they were at King's Meadow, actually, I think they lost 8-0. So um, it's definitely an improved performance
2: from then. It is all about these small margins, isn't it? These little bit of it, little improvements as you go. Billy Stewart was actually interim first team head coach of West Ham. And he said for us to still be in the game and give them a scare at the end is a very much a credit to the team. So they'll be looking to um, secure a manager or at least a slightly more permanent basis in the coming um, weeks. Uh, Molly, Gemma, thank you very much for the moment. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Hannah Wilkes, alongside, as I've mentioned, Bristol City defender Gemma Purfield and Molly McElwee from The Telegraph. A women's Football Weekly is the only show on national radio dedicated to women's football. We're here every Monday, 6 till 7, bringing you all you need to know in the game. And if you miss any or want to listen again, our podcast and the show are available on the TalkSport app. So download that today and go to the podcast section. Next up, we'll be looking at some of the big news from the Euro 2022 qualifiers and chatting to Northern Ireland head coach Kenny Shields. Women's Football Weekly with Faye Carruthers on TalkSport 2. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport2 with me, Hannah Wilkes, Bristol City's Gemma Purfield and Molly McKell. We are my guests this evening. Molly, of course, from The Telegraph. And we're going to move away from the WSL action very briefly to talk about one of the big stories of the international break. That is it. Northern Ireland have made history. A five-star display from Kenny Shield's side as they book their place. In the playoffs
4: for the European Championships, a stage that the Northern Ireland women's side have never reached before.
2: Yes, Northern Ireland have reached the playoff stages of the Euro 2022 qualifiers, as you heard there uh, from BBC Sport Northern Ireland. And I'm excited to say that we're joined now by Northern Ireland head coach Kenny Shields. Kenny, good evening to you. How are you?
3: I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, we're just getting back to normality now.
2: I thought you uh, might be quite good after all of that. I've got I've got to say, I mean, you've only been in charge for Northern Ireland for, for 18 months and you've already made a bit of history by securing that playoff spot for the Euros. Just how proud are you of that team? And has it sunk in yet?
3: Um, yeah, well, the target was at the halfway stage that we had to win our last four games. It was, um, there was no other alternative. And we pigeonholed that and put it to one side and said, let's in this in the right order and, and how we made the steps and it doesn't surprise me in one way uh, because of the character that these girls have but in another way it's when you shake yourself and think well it's amazing you know if you look at the track record and what we've done in, in a very very short space of time is a testament to how well the girls have, have put the commitment and sacrifices away and Worked really hard to get to where we want to be.
2: Yeah, it is. It's really quite remarkable, and you've got to add into the fact that almost 20 years ago, exactly, that the senior Northern Ireland women's team was was disbanded by the IFA, um, and a lot of the players in your squad were part of the team that was reestablished four years later in 2004. I mean, you mentioned you know the dedication and, and the sacrifice, but how much of the team's current success is down to the sheer tenacity of those players?
3: Yeah. Because of the way we play and and people think well it's 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 a modern game that we play, and we sometimes get criticism because we we take high risks and you know if you're from Northern Ireland and you take high risks it's, it's contrary to you know familiar with what people are familiar with, but I think the girl's tenacity is one characteristic, but there are so many others that's so praiseworthy of those guards, you know, the, how they coped with the tactics and and the significant changes in how we wanted to play and their adaptation to that is definitely obvious to everyone how much they've come on and how well they've stuck at the task and what was put in front of them.
2: They really did. They really did. And Gemma and Molly, I know you're desperate to speak to to Kenny as well. And, and Gemma, what did you want to ask Kenny about? I should say, what
6: do you think the the key moment was? You know, that stood out for you during those qualification games. Like, was there anything in particular? What was your key to success?
3: Um, if you break it all down and, and dress it up, I, I think our ability to change. Like, don't forget, it was only over. Thirteen months or so that they have uh, achieved this, and how they adapted to change and how they accepted it was remarkable. You know, they they took it on board and they they made my job easier and they, and they put it into action. So I would have to say it's impossible to single out a key moment within any game, but it's more about separating key strategies. In, in how we wanted to play and how they took it on, it was amazing because you know we look at um, teams that we were competing with and who we eliminated The Wales for example have 15 players that are either playing or with a, a Super League club and our girls are 95% uh, in local football part time and Jobs as nurses and whatever you know, it's it's massive what the the girls have achieved.
5: Um, Michael, we hear uh, massive congrats uh, to you um, for for the result this week. I just wondered, I get what the reaction has been in 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 Northern Ireland to, to the result, and also what you think kind of um, progressing even further, qualifying for, for the Euros, could mean uh, for the sport for for women's football. Uh, in Northern Ireland too.
3: Yep, yeah, definitely. It's the, the media coverage and you know the expansive cover that we've got has helped the game and it's helped young players to realise that we've got a model here in Northern Ireland because don't forget Northern Ireland they're very humble people in Northern Ireland and humility is from the same family as self-esteem. There's a thin line between the two and They they have that humility and, you know, Wales, Ireland, Scotland, they all have failed to qualify, which makes ours even more enormous and the girls feel even more pride because the amount of, the the opponents that we're going to be playing against and we have played against are quite a, a distance between us and them and we're making the right inroads to try and eat away at that gap. And the girls have, it, it means so much to them, to the people of Northern Ireland. It's its another chapter that we want to start and go through the next one.
2: It's one of those as well, you've got a bit of a big wait now between between now and, and knowing that you're into the playoffs and finding out who your opponent will actually be. So the draw's not done till March. The fixtures themselves will happen in April. So what will you be doing with the squad over the next few months and, and how will you be preparing them for that? Because I'm guessing you want to go and, and get those wins and get to the Euros.
3: Of course. You know, we will set our parameters and our, our goals to try and achieve they have to be achievable but it has to be from within the people and you know the girls will get together and they'll provide that energy we hope to get a camp in February to get them together for a few days so that we can prepare for Ypres, uh even though we won't know the opponent by then but I think it's important that we have another little do in terms of Bringing that camaraderie and bringing that dynamic to the team and get us up and running again because, as you say, it's four or five months away, and you know, a lot of things can happen in that time. We've lost three or four really good players, Uh, some of them won't be back in time for that uh, particular game. And as far as we know, it's a two legged playoff, home and away. So it'll be interesting to see. We can't wait to see who we've got and then we can prepare more tactically for that.
2: Well, Kenny, we wish you the best of luck and we'll all certainly be keeping a close eye and rooting for Northern Ireland when it does come to those playoff fixtures in April. That was Kenny Shields, the head coach of the Northern Ireland women's team. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Hannah Wilkes alongside Molly McElwee from The Telegraph and Bristol City's Gemma Purfield. If you miss any of the show, you can catch up by downloading the TalkSport app and subscribing to our podcast. Just search TalkSport Women's Football Weekly. Now, coming up on the only dedicated national radio show for women's football, You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the UK's only national radio show dedicated to women's football. With me, Hannah Wilkes, alongside Bristol City defender Gemma Purfield and Molly McKelvey from The Telegraph. Right, let's take you through the rest of Sunday's WSL action. Great to see the WSL back after the international break, this time with added fans. Um, right, let's talk Arsenal 3, Birmingham City 0. We had goals from Caitlin Ford, Jill Rawd and Kim Little uh, seeing Arsenal pass a fairly resilient Birmingham city. So I've still got two penalties. Hannah Hampton saved a first half penalty from Little did well to get down and keep it out, making 11 saves in total across the game. But the big talking point from, from this one uh, was after the match, Blues manager Carla Ward said she wasn't happy with the officiating uh, saying in post-match that the referees were of Sunday League standard and that that at times they were playing against 12. Um, Gemma, interested to hear your thoughts on this as a player because it's not the first time we've heard criticism of the standard of refereeing in the Women's Super League. Do you think Carla Ward was justified in, in her comments?
6: I mean, I think it's tough. You know, After a game, there's obviously a lot of emotion and because they conceded two penalties, I think you're straight away going to think we were hard done to there, um, especially when there's a side as good as Arsenal because sometimes, you know, as a side against those top teams, you think they don't need the extra advantage, they're already fantastic, let, you know, let it play. But, um, yeah, I think there obviously has been some questions around the referee and and it's tough, it's a tough job and and we understand that. But I think, yeah, sometimes there maybe needs to be more to help um, the referees in the women's game because at times I think, you know, it affects the game Sometimes they're brilliant and that's fantastic and it helps the game flow. And sometimes you know it has a negative perfor- uh, effect on the performance and on the game. And and if it's very stop start and decisions are going one way or the other, it's it gets it's hard to play in. And I think um, yeah, that'd be where I think the you know officiating maybe needs help and maybe there needs to be a better pathway coming through the the women's game.
2: Molly, is this, do you reckon, the next sort of frontier for the women's game as we move to a professional league and we're seeing the Super League attracting more and more US players and players from overseas? Is the standard of officiating and having full-time referees what the Women's Super League needs to do next and what the FA need to look at to ensure that we are as competitive and as professional as we can be?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. They're not full-time professionals in the same way as the, the players are and, and that seems like a disparity that may be hindering kind of some of the, the, the games here. I mean, I know Casey Stoney talks about it a lot. Uh, I mean, Carla Ward obviously was, it was right after the game, but she obviously felt really strongly about it. Um, Yeah, it, it, it's, I think it's something that the FA should look at and, and something that a lot of players, managers are calling for. And um, yeah, it, it, it's hard because the criticism of, of referees who who are there are kind of part time professionals, it, it seems unfair to kind of hold them to this really high standard, but if it's a professional league you need to you need to have professional standards. So it's very tricky. But yeah, I think a lot of people could see where Carla Ward was coming from um during the game.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the talk of professional standards actually leads us quite nicely into the Tottenham-Brighton match. Tottenham, of course, announced this week that the women's team have moved to full-time training at the men's team facilities on Hotspur Way. And we'll talk about that in a a moment. But first of all, I mean, on the pitch, a perfect start really for Rianne Skinner as she started her new job as Tottenham head coach. And we finally saw Alex Morgan score a goal in the WSL. I mean, Gemma, we've waited a a little while to first of all see her play for Spurs and then you know three games for her to to find the back of the net it's what we wanted to see for some time wasn't it
6: yeah definitely I mean she's a a world cup winner and, and a class act and you can tell you know she's played at the very top levels and she's got an aura about her on the pitch and so I think for her obviously coming back after having a baby it's it's tough and I think Tottenham have done well managing and making sure that she's fit enough and ready to play before just chucking her straight back in because they could have thrown her in earlier but there was nothing to say you know, that she was fully ready. So I think they've waited for the right time. They've got her back to full fitness. And when, you know, both parties felt they were ready to to put her on the pitch, she's been on the pitch. And I think each game she'll grow and she'll grow into it. And and it was probably great for her to get that first goal. and, And she'll probably push on
2: now from that. And Molly, in terms of a mood lift around the Tottenham Hotspur camp, this was very much needed, wasn't it? Their first win of the season. We had Jessica Nans making her first Spurs appearance in in over a year after suffering an ACL injury in pre season last year. Um, plus, Rhiann Skinner's first first win as a as a manager as the manager of Tottenham. Alex Morgan goal there. They're moving to the, the men's facilities full time. Does it feel as though Tottenham are about to really build this momentum here? And that there's many reasons to be positive in North London.
5: Yeah, I think I think uh, Rianne Skinner couldn't have asked for a better week. Really, there's only good things to say. I, I I think everyone knows kind of how much Karen Hills and and Juan Amoros, uh did for the club too. And uh, I mean, obviously, they hadn't had the best start to the season, so this change happened. But for Rianne Skinner, she she can really build on this now, like their first win. Alex Morgan getting on the goal on 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 getting her first goal was just kind of major as well for her mentally. I mean, strikers really kind of need that kind of breakthrough, and especially for her after coming back, like like Gemma said, after having her her first child and 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 being out of the game for a long time, to get that first goal, I think we could see her kind of really. Crack on now and, and start scoring a lot more for Tottenham. Um, yeah, and and this week the the news of them moving to the the men's training ground was also really welcomed. I'm sure. Um, it sounds like, yeah, everything's in place now for Rianne Skinner to properly kind of push this club to the next level. And yeah, I hope I hope um we see some some good results from them. It it was a good day all round.
2: Gemma, from a player's perspective. What does it mean to, to to the team to be moving and, and training full-time at, at Tottenham Hotspur Way alongside the men's team? And I say this knowing full well that your former club, Liverpool, has has received a lot of criticism for not doing the same when they open their new training facility.
0: Yeah,
6: absolutely. I think it's obviously really tough um if you're not if you're not involved and, and the men's team aren't taking taking you on board. So I think to have that and to be accepted into the team is is absolutely brilliant and I'm sure they'll be ecstatic with that and that'll help them now push on in the league and, and compete um with the top teams hopefully. So I think for them it's so important and they'll be
2: delighted with that move. Yeah, moving on then to Everton against Man City because we have got a very important game to get to as well. That Gemma, we want to talk about your Bristol City side at length. But first of all, Everton nil, Man City three. I mean, Manchester City were just too good really for Everton. Who haven't won in the league since their FA Cup final defeat against Manchester City. I mean, Caroline, Caroline Weir, can we have a word on her please, Molly? Because she was phenomenal in this game. Three assists setting up Ellen White, Gemma Bonner and Becky all for their goals and... They're just looking. I mean, Caroline, particularly, adds so much to this city team, doesn't she?
5: She really does. I think, especially after kind of the week that she'd had with with Scotland. Obviously, they'd had huge disappointment midweek, um, not kind of progressing to the Euros, uh, and, and for her to kind of put in that kind of performance, um, yeah, it really kind of. I'm sure it caught um, caught the manager's eye as well because he's he's had some some tricky. Um, personnel kind of decisions to make every game really when you've got kind of uh, Sam Mewis in the mix as well obviously competing for, for spots in midfield is is hard this season and Karen Weir hasn't been starting every game in the way that maybe she did before so to see her get those three assists um really kind of proved how much kind of quality she brings to the side um yeah she looked she, she was kind of unstoppable unstoppable all game um yeah it was it, she was really fun to watch.
2: And to round things off, as we look back on the weekend's WSL action, Gemma, let's talk about your team. Bristol City drew one all away at Reading, and it was one of those games where, I mean, the Bristol counter attack, Gemma. There's a lot to be said for for how you counter. I mean, Reading were fairly unstoppable. I know in defence you had you had a busy old day. Reading with 33 shots, and your goalie Sophie Bagley really giving a bit of a goalkeeping clinic. Can you just summarise? I mean, with the, you know a day later. What did you think of that game and what was it like to be a part of?
6: So I think it was a fantastic game and I think for the neutral it was probably very, very exciting. Um, I think for us, we're gaining confidence and we're growing as a group now and um, we've obviously had a tough tough start to the season. We've played the top teams and I think we've got a bit of an opportunity now playing teams around us to make a bit of a statement. So yeah, touching on the, the Emma, Emma Bizzle goal, it was a fantastic team counter-attack. You know, it started with a great save from Sophie Bagley, a good ball from Gemma Evans and then Ebony and Charlie Wellings combining before putting it across for Emma Bizzle and I think um, it was great to see that because that's something we've been work- working on on the training ground, being quick on the counter and being clinical and selfless and I think obviously it was selfless from Charlie to square it and a fantastic finish. So yeah, I think it's great for us to gain momentum. We We really enjoyed yesterday. Um, I think obviously at the end we were pushing for, for a winner the same they were so I think it became quite end-to-end and like I say exciting for those watching but yeah I think it's it's a long season there's going to be a lot of ups and downs but for us we're looking to push on now and I think just to mention the average age of our squad was 21, 22, oh. we have 16 ages in the squad so we're such a young team um, you know trying to push on and and develop and I think um, Tanya's helping us all with our development and and helping us, you know, get to that next
2: level. Well on that, with such a young team and such a competitive league, especially this year, it does feel like the WSL has sort of kicked up a notch. I know Bristol are still hunting that first win, but with two draws now on the bounce, is there a sense amongst the squad that you're not far away from getting that that first victory of the season?
6: Absolutely, I think, you know, we're going to fight for every point, every win. Every draw we can get, and and that's the team camaraderie that we've got. You know, on and off the pitch, we've got each other's backs, and we and we get along well. And I think that that does show, and it is important because it's a tough league, like you just touched on. I think it is probably the best it's ever been. The WSL with the players that have been brought in and the the standards rising. So as a young group, we're just absorbing everything, we're learning, and we're ready to push on. And I think obviously we've got two massive games coming up this week. We've got Aston Villa on Wednesday night. And then we have West Ham um, next Sunday. So two games that we're obviously looking to get something out of and, and keep pushing on.
2: Gemma, it's almost like we planned it because you mentioned you playing Aston Villa and West Ham. I was about to summarise the table and of course you've just done it for me at at the moment or at least like the the bottom few places. Just two points separating West Ham, Aston Villa and uh, Gemma's Bristol City currently in 12th place. But after all the action over the weekend then Manchester United are still top of the table. They remain unbeaten in the Women's Super League. Arsenal have moved within just one point of them in second place after that win over Birmingham. Defending champions Chelsea sit third and Manchester City move up to fourth thanks to their victory over Everton, um, Reading sixth, Birmingham City seventh, Brighton Hove Albion in eighth and Tottenham moving up one place after their first win of the season there in ninth. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talksport. 2. I'm Hannah Wilkes alongside Bristol City's Gemma Purfield. And Molly McElwee from The Telegraph. Don't forget, if you do miss any of today's show, you can find our podcast by downloading the Talksport app and searching for Women's Football Weekly. Next up, we're going to try and close the spotlight, in fact, an in, Arsenal legend, uh, former England player, now playing for Reading. It is the one and only Danielle Carter. Listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Hannah Wilkes, and keeping me company is Molly McElwee from The Telegraph and Bristol City defender Gemma Purfield. Right, time for us to turn our spotlight onto someone new. Every week this season, we're picking a person, a club, organisation, or an event from the world of women's football to shine our spotlight on. But we want you to come up with some suggestions of whose story you'd like to hear. If there's a player, or maybe a coach, or a team, past or present, that you'd like to know a little bit more about, you can tweet us at TalkSport2 or to regular Women's Football Weekly host at Faye Carruthers, or you can email on Women's Football Weekly at Talksport.co.uk with your suggestions and then our wonderful team here will see what we can do this week we're shining our spotlight on reading forward danielle carter she's been speaking to talk sports bradley hayden
4: would it be fair to say that you're back enjoying your football again now that you're
1: back on the pitch too yeah i think if you're fit and you're on the pitch playing football um obviously that that's my job and that's i'm i'm sort of fortunate enough to say that's what i get paid to do so yeah Mm. i'm i'm definitely definitely happy to be back on the pitch um Obviously, in terms of getting back into the swing of things, it's going to take me maybe longer than what I might like. Um, but it's just a matter of trying to be patient with myself and um, people around me just to be patient.
4: For, to have one ACL in, in your career is, yeah. is kind of bad enough. But mm-hmm. to have two in, in such a short space of time, mm-hmm. how mentally difficult was that for you to, to kind of cope with, having got yourself back fit after such a serious injury? Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, you, you're back going through like the same process again.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's mad. I mean, you definitely wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy, um, complete bad luck. Um, both were contact injuries, so it could have happened to anybody at any time. Just li- literally, there's bad luck. There's not necessarily anything I could have done differently. It was just, it was meant to be. It happened. But yeah, dealing with that mentally was, was, was tough. Obviously, the second time it happened, I knew I was in my last year of my contract at Arsenal. So it was sort of that was more difficult to accept knowing I wasn't really going to be able to sort of play for a new contract um but yeah so, so that, that was difficult to take uh mentally but you know it's happened and then it's just a case of trying to stay strong because I didn't I wasn't gonna give up um so it was just a case of how can I get back how can I sort of get back playing and, and enjoy my football again.
4: Mm, and uh, I think that's that's really fantastic it's here that you never thought about giving up because some of those positions no I I did
1: I definitely did think about giving up in the beginning but like I've said in other interviews credit to my my old physio um and SNC coach in particular uh definitely my physio got me through it and then it was only over the months it was a case of yeah 100% I'm going to put everything into this rehab again and then come out and it's unfinished business
4: and obviously moving to, to Reading um, back in back in the summer, what was it that that made Reading uh, an appealing move for you?
1: Um, well, there's a f- couple of teams that I sort of had a choice of. Um, and in the end, it was just a case of Reading. When I was speaking to Kelly, um, their plans and what they wanted to achieve over the next couple of years sounded appealing. Um, so it was a case of obviously I need to get back playing. Hopefully this is the place where I can do that and gain confidence and, you know, just get back in the swing of things.
4: And obviously, you know, for yourself and for Reading this season, what's the kind of target?
1: I mean, there was obviously three Champions League spots. Um, maybe that might be a bit too much of a, an ask for us this year, realistically. Um, but yeah, definitely to finish as high up as we possibly can um, for players and the team to gel and then hopefully next year with time, you know, we can sort of kick on even more. But yeah, I guess definitely it's to to finish as high as we possibly can or out of the County Cup, but Maybe go on a good FA Cup run and and just just build from there. You know, realistically, we've got to we've got to compete with the teams so who've got maybe bigger budgets, better players. But yeah, we you know we're confident in hopefully finishing quite high up.
4: And, and lastly, as well, um, how competitive do you think the WSL is going to be this season? Because I spoke to Man City's Ellie Roebuck last week, and she thinks this is going to be the, the closest that the league has ever been for, for some time. Is that
1: something you'd agree with? Yeah, i will definitely agree with that to be fair. Um I think normally you can predict the top three or even top two. This year is very it's very difficult to actually say or to put a bet on who you think's gonna is gonna gonna win the league or who's actually gonna get the Champions League spots. Um which is which is good. It's good for the league, it's good for the neutral. So yeah, it'll be interesting. Like I say, the league's so short as well when there's not many teams in the league, any sort of dropping points is detrimental to to the teams looking to to finish in the top
2: three. Great to hear it from Danielle Carter there. Great to see her back playing as well after two ACLs back-to-back. She's got some determination um, that's for sure. Gemma Purfield and Molly McElwee are still alongside me. And um, before we go I, I really want to get both of your opinions on some news you've had this week uh, regarding England's uh, new coaching development programme. Pretty exciting news here. And the FA have announced that a new coaching development programme within the England setup, with a number of current and former footballers and coaches set to take part. So the likes of Rachel Yankee, Farrah Williams, Mary Philip and Kareen Brown will all be got, begin season-long coaching placements with England's women's development teams at St George's Park this month. Um, Hope Powell, former England women's head coach, is going to mentor them during their placements. And it's great to see, isn't it Gemma, former players, I mean the likes of Rachel Yankee, Farrah Williams, Mary Phillip, who of course as well uh, won 50, 65 caps for a country and was the first women's player to, to compete in two women's World Cups. Those kind of players getting these development opportunities to make Make sure that in the future we've we've got former players coaching the women's team like we do in the men's game,
6: yeah absolutely, I think you know the transition from from playing to what you do next is is always a bit of a question mark for for a lot of players, so I think those that know they want to go into coaching and have played at the top level and have that experience from a player's point of view but have also then gone and got their coaching badges, so can see it from the flip side, I think it's a great. place for them to get the exposure and the experience you know working alongside some of the youth England team so I think for them it'll be really interesting to see it on the flip side but they'll also be able to put themselves in the players shoes so they'll be relatable for the girls and I think that'll help them as coaches because they've been in that situation and their advice will will mean something because it's legitimate and it's from their own experiences so I think it's fantastic for them um, and I think it'll be great for them to you know help with Delivering sessions, tactical meetings, and doing things they maybe didn't have to do as a player, um, and seeing the opposite
2: side of it. And Molly, just quickly, it's great to see an, a you know real action plan taking place, isn't it? Rather than just hearing great things about increasing diversity in every form in coaching, actually seeing it in action.
5: Definitely, I think I think um, the WSL at least has a, has a a great kind of um, balance of female coaches in, in the league um, at the moment. So from a gender perspective, it's great to see um, some former female players getting kind of, yeah, the opportunity, like like Gemma said, to kind of put, put what they've learned as a player into action and then kind of move on to, to, to a coaching side of things. Um, you see kind of Hope Powell obviously is gonna be helping to mentor them, obviously the the kind of experience that she has and that she can offer to um to to players that she used to coach even um yeah would be would be great and i can't wait to see kind of how this develops and how um this can hopefully um see another woman potentially coaching um coaching the the england side one day
2: Yeah, we'll be watching it very closely. Hopefully it's not too far off. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us this evening on Women's Football Weekly. Big thanks to Gemma Purfield, Molly McKelvey and Kenny Shields and all of you, of course, for listening. Faye will be back next week with more women's football action. Any questions you have for us during the week, you can email us at womensfootballweekly at talksport.co.uk. You can tweet us at TalkSport2 or you can tweet the main woman herself at Faye Carruthers. And as ever, if you miss any of the show or want to listen back to any of our lockdown specials, you can download the Women's Football Weekly podcast via the Talk Sports app.